heard across the Resonate Regional Radio Network. It's my time, it's my life. I hope you will come along. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Ben Dobbin with you on a Tuesday morning, the 23rd of August. A very good morning to everybody. We're going to talk with Graham Brown from the Bunya Bull Sale. We'll talk with uh, Matt Dalgleish from Thomas Alders Markets, Chinchilla Community Commerce and Industry, uh, Robin Haig, and we're also going to catch up with Adam Kay from Cotton Australia. Big show for you across the Resonate Broadcast Network. A very good morning to everybody listening to us through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longreach, 4GC Charter Towers. And the Hot Country Network, good morning to you. So much to get through this morning. If you've uh, missed any of our previous, you can always go to Wooshka. Uh, let's get into it. Adam Kay joins us next. This is Rural Queensland Today. Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Uh, Cotton Australia CEO is Adam Kay. We've, he's joined us before. And the Australian cotton industry had plenty to celebrate as it gathered on the Gold Coast uh, last week for the Cotton Australia Conference. Adam, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, great to great to talk to you again. Um, obviously, cotton plays a significant part in uh, rural and regional Queensland. There's areas, and the, the the longer it goes on, we've seen cotton growing as far as the Northern Territory, and the national harvest is almost complete. And this year, producing uh, 5.6 million bales, valued at 4.5 billion dollars. I mean, gee whiz! I mean, talk about talk about a significant part of our economy. What a what a yeah. phenomenal phenomenal story, uh, Cotton Australia, and and what we grow in this country is. Yeah, it is a great story. You know, to put it in perspective, that's a uh, one one and a quarter million tons of cotton fibre, which is enough to you know clothe five hundred billion people in you know jeans, shirts, jocks, and socks. So you know we're clothing the world with our uh, beautiful Australian cotton. So the sense of obviously you had your an industry focused conference last week on the Gold Coast. Uh, I know many people that were there. What was the big thing coming out of there? Oh well, I just think the um, excitement for the future. You know, we've just we've just had this record crop because of the the rain we've had and there's water in the system and the system's full again and ready to go next year. So you know, there's a chance of doing the same again, which is you know phenomenal because it's only two years ago we had the backside hanging out of our pants. Yeah, the worst drought we'd ever seen, smallest crop in 40 years. Yeah. And it just uh, shows how quickly things can turn around. So, you know, there was a real buzz in the air. You know, the markets uh, are looking good. You know, there's, there were plenty of talks from uh, some of the world's leading, you know, marketers of cotton about uh, about the outlook there. And uh, we had our brands and retail friends there. So, you know, the likes of the, the country roads and the bonds and the, sure. you know, uh, Rod and guns and that that are all switched over to use Australian cotton, which is fantastic. And so, yeah, it was just the, the, the great vibe there. And it's an industry that shares knowledge and shares information. None of the growers are competing with each other because we sell on this world market. There's no competition. So everyone wants to help each other. And new growers to the industry just can't believe how, how helpful and, uh, you know, other growers are um, to them. Um, because that sometimes doesn't happen in other industries. Yeah, the big thing about it is everybody's willing to share. Um, you find in the cotton industry that, you know, obviously the, the, there's so many so – everybody's willing to show what they're doing to make this industry better. Can I ask about the concern, though, and, and, and I only flag this because I've seen what happens in other industries. 70% of the, 
of Australians' cotton crop goes to China. You know, are we too far in with one market? Well, look, it, it was 70% to China, and in October 2020, China just stopped. Um, they put a soft ban. They told their spinning mills not to take Australian cotton. Or so they not t- are they not taking any of it at all? No, no, none at the moment, and um, and I think the um, uh, the the thing that people are, are talking about is you know when will that um, freeze out? When will that end? You know when will they let us back in? But that said, you know they were meant to do that to sort of penalise us. Well, you know the Australian cotton shippers, the people that buy the crop off the growers and sell it to the spinning mills of Asia, well they've done a magnificent job at expanding some other markets, finding new markets. And so, so, you know, China's gone and, and we haven't sort of really seen a hiccup. I was talking to a grower last week, um, or maybe two weeks ago, and he said, in a perfect world, the best destination would be China, he said, because of location. But all these other markets that have been opened up, now that you, you haven't got that Chinese market, and we, and we can say what we want about it, it was a political issue that had nothing to do with um, the cotton industry. Are we at that point that now we have to – you know, look at and say, well, we're never going to go back there? Or is it the fact that you've been able to open up these other markets, have significant presence around the world, that China will have to eventually come back online, but when they do, they're going to have to pay a, a lot more than what they ever envisaged? Well, look, that's what we'd be, be hoping for. You know, China always did pay uh, above the odds. And um, as one of the, the speakers at the conference, Sonny Varghese, the, the founder and CEO of OLAM, which owns Queensland Cotton, um, Sonny said, you know, China is the natural home for Australian cotton. They love our high-quality cotton. We can ship it up there quickly and easily. And so really the question is when will the, the freeze-out end? And, um, you know, we hope that the um, new Australian government that that might be a bit of a reset in the relationship and we can only we can only hope. But in the meantime, we have got other markets, but um, it would be wonderful if China came back into the fray and, and um, you know, if they were paying a, a little bit above the odds to get our beautiful high-quality cotton. Yeah, it's quite unbelievable. Um, wh- wh- where to now? Where to now? And you talked about, listen, we, we, we're going to have this unbelievable year next year and, and, and the water, everybody you talk to, they've got full full ring tanks and everything. Um, what is What is the the process and what, what's your belief and what should we think about Australian cotton moving forward? Well, I think the, the exciting thing is the developments in the north and you mentioned it earlier, you know, at the conference, every time we had someone from far north Queensland or the Territory or North, you know, WA talk, the hall was full. There's a real interest in, you know, what's happening up there, you know, at Catherine, you know, there's a new gin being built at the moment. Up at Kununurra, they're talking about a gin in a couple of years' time and, uh, there's real excitement in the north of Australia about um, about cotton, and uh, I think you know, we've been 20 years in the making. You know, we've been doing research up there. We've been laying the groundwork, and the time is right. So, you know, real excitement um, about up north. I think for the growers, you know, in the south, in the traditional areas, the, the big thing at the moment is turning the country around. It's been a you know a relatively wet pick. You know, up on the downs, you, you know, all your colleagues up on the downs there. You know, geez, it's been wet up there and trying to, you know, pick the crop and then turn that country around so it's ready to plant in, you know, October, November this year is, um, that's what's on their mind at the moment. And, um, you know, that's what everyone's working towards because when you've got that water and you've got a good price, 
um, you just want to get it in, and so you know, you don't want to be held up with uh, you know with wet uh, wet land preparation. Yeah, it it, it um, is is quite unbelievable this story. How many people were there last week, mate? Uh, we had two and a half thousand delegates, so yeah, record um, record conference, and uh, yeah, and, and uh, eleven hundred at the big awards dinner on the final night. So uh, that's all that's all the big hall there can handle eleven hundred. That's that was um, you know a phenomenal night to um, you know to celebrate the industry. It celebrated fifty years of Cotton Australia, um, our organisation, and um, yeah, it was just a, a great way to finish out a, a wonderful conference. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, what a story Australian cotton is at the moment. Cotton Australia doing a phenomenal job and uh, the market is, as you said, new markets, you know, Indonesia, Vietnam, Turkey, you know, unbelievable. And, and yes, China would be the ideal place, but they because of political issues, um, it caused all sorts of bedlam. So I really appreciate your time. I think it's a phenomenal, phenomenal product. I think a lot of other industries should take a good hard look at what you guys have done. I know the wine industry was on its knees. I know there's plenty of, and it was finding other markets that was the key to having so much success. Record crop this year, and we are just so lucky that we have such a, it's as good a product, as good a cotton anywhere from anywhere around the world. Can I just ask you quickly, Adam, and and I, the experiment of, of growing in the territory and, and where we are heading, what, what's your vision and, and what, what is the honest outlook? Will we see it in Northern Australia become, you know, a prominent crop up there considering, you know, the, the soil's right, there's so many attributes there. Is that a real possibility that we could see cotton growing there at, at a significant amounts? Oh, look, I, I think it, it's happening. It, it's it's always the story of, um, you know, where's the cotton gin? And at the moment, they're carting that cotton 3,000 kilometres back to, you know, Dolby and St. George to have it ginned. Now, with the with this gin almost completed up there, you know, 35 k's north of um, Catherine, um, they've got the processing now, you know, up in their own area. I think Tipperary Station grew 3,000 hectares last year and there were a whole lot of other growers around them with sort of six or 7,000 hectares. And there's more and more interest now. This is rain-grown cotton. You know, they get phenomenal rainfall through the summer, so they they get it in in you know December when the wet starts, and it, it, it rains on it through the um, through the summer, and then things dry up, and they um, and they are able to pick the crop in um, in June, July, and so you know it's uh, uh, last few years that's been you know very successful, and um, yeah, I think that's the key if we can um, keep doing that long term. It's going to be a, a you know a wonderful viable crop for um, for many people up in the Northern Territory. Unbelievable! Yeah, well, great to chat. Thanks so much, Adam, for talking to Always us this good morning. Always good to have a yarn. Yeah, Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Rural Queensland today. Graham Brown joins us this morning, Sale Chairman of the Bunya Bull Sale. Saturday, the third of September at eleven a.m. at the Cool and Bunya Sale Complex at Kingaroy. Ninety-one quality Drought Master bulls will be for sale. Graham, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having us, Ben. Um, obviously, this is a a very very big sale. Ninety one bulls. Um, obviously, it's a vendor sale, so you've obviously got different different um, studs operating out of there, and it's an important sale because of the Drought Master breed and and what it's done. It, it must be exciting. That it's only a couple of weeks away. Yeah, yeah. Now it's getting here close. Uh, sometimes the amount of vendors we have in there can be a little bit challenging. You know, getting everything together. There's thirty two vendors in the sale, so. 
Uh, sometimes it's like herding cats, but uh, we'll get there. So, what are we looking at, mate? What, what all bulls semen tested? Is there a is there some requirements for a multi vendor sale? Yeah, we have our own standards. We we don't accept anything under sixty percent uh, motility. Uh, they've got to at least have that. Uh, all uh, registered bulls will be sire verified this year for the first time. I think we're probably one of the first sales to move in that direction. Uh, if they're not sire verified, they'll only be offered as a herd bull. But no. the majority of the bulls in the sale are registered and sire verified. Now, there's free delivery to Dolby, Tagulawa, Idesville, Bow Desert, Bigger and Gympie, and other areas, and 4% outside rebate. GDL and Aussie Land and Livestock, Mark Duffy um, and Midge, get in contact with both of them if you're interested. There's a big bulk buyer rebate as well, isn't there? If people want to buy um, a, a certain amount of bulls, they are. there's a bulk buyer rebate. Yeah, yeah. Once they go over five bulls, they're eligible for that bulk buyer as well. Yeah, we try to do everything we can to get, you know, as many bums on seats and as many bulls sold to as many different areas as we can. It's a huge, um, a, a huge uh, sale with 91 bulls. Can I ask you this? What should people expect when they walk into the yard? I know there's different vendors, but you guys obviously have looked at all the bulls. It, it, there's bulls for every market. That's exactly right. You know, we always say this. I think there was probably four or five bulls went to studs last year. So if you're looking for a stud bull, there's plenty of them there to look through. But, yeah, just good quality commercial bulls. Uh, yeah, we averaged a tick over nine grand last year, but, you know, there were 60 or 70% of the bulls were in that five to $8,000 range. You know, they're just good value for money, good quality bulls, plenty of pole bulls, you know, good sheaths on them, uh, you know, sound in their feet and legs, that sort of thing. So the same stuff we've been doing year after year. And I think this year the quality just keeps improving. So um, we're hoping for another good turnout. Yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable what's going on. Um, it, it has just been um, – it, it's been an unbelievable season in your neck of the woods. Uh, the, the all Bulls, um, as you said, um, have your own set of standards. They're, they're all vaccinated, ready to go, uh, semen-tested, morphology-tested, so they've got to have uh, obviously uh, better than 60% to be in this sale. It happens on Saturday the 3rd of September, 11 a.m., you can get in contact with Midge at Aussie Land and Livestock or Mark Duffy at GDL for catalogues, 4% outside agent rebate, free delivery to Dolby, Tagulawa, Idesville, Bow Desert, Biggerton and Gympie, 91 quality drought master bulls at the Coolamunya Sale Complex, Kingaroy. Uh, that's Saturday the 3rd of September. Graham, thanks so much for being with us. I hope it goes well. Yep, no, thanks, Ben. Thanks very much. Good on you. Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network uh, through Resonate and the Hot Country Network. Uh, Chinchilla Community of Commerce and Industry uh, leader Robin Haig joins us this morning as their main street is set to become what is a awesome situation, a melting pot of different foods and entertainment from across the globe as part of one of the region's most popular events. The One Long Table Multicultural Food and Festival is set to return on September 3. Uh, I'll tell you what, I wish I was there. It's hosted by Chinchilla Community of Commerce and Industry and the event has been running about a decade and obviously it's there to connect uh, the community. Robin, good morning. Uh, How good is this and how exciting for Chinchilla? Look, it's one of the things we get most excited about here at Chamber. It's really um, really great to have it. um, I think we're down to 11 days left in our countdown to one long table and we can't wait to get there. So... How how does one go about finding thirty one different food vendors that are going to that are going to come to Chinchilla? Clearly, they're not all they're not all from Chinchilla. 
No, there's there's certainly a mix. I mean, we have um, quite a lot of locals. Um, and some are our traditional um, restaurants that we see, you know, here in town, and some are uh, local people who have, you know, culinary skills, and they come out just for that one day a year. Uh, we also have quite a long um, relationship with some of our vendors that are really popular that come from away um, every year, and then we uh, make an effort to find a few fresh, new, different ones every year to try and touch on as many cultures and as much diversity as we can in a single event. So it is um, it is a lot of vendors to find, um, 30, but we um, we seem to, to manage every year. Unbelievable. Um, and this is – how many people are you expecting um, – I mean, last year 5,000 meal tickets were sold for the one long table event, which would equate yes. to two to 3,000 visitors, which off the back of COVID is phenomenal. What are you expecting this year? Yeah, so we'd expect um, up to the 3,000 this year wow. because we have no actual um, gate fee. So it's, it's, we just ask for a gold point donation to enter. It's actually very hard to get a solid count. But this year we do have gate counters. So next time I'll be able to tell you our exact numbers. Um, but uh, we, we fill our main street for sure and um, we sell a ton of serves of food. Um, it's, a, it's a huge event. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So from South American paella, the Japanese pancakes, you know, the smoked meats, there's something for everyone. Now, it kicks off at 4pm, finishes at 9, and the main street will be blocked off. And obviously, there'd be a community concert at some point there as well. So people will be able to 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 buy their food from the food trucks and then obviously uh, head to have some music. It's just something so great for the community. Yeah, it's amazing. And definitely entertainment runs throughout the night. So we have a couple of entertainment precincts in the main street. So we have a main stage um, in the centre of the street and it runs entertainment the entire way through from gate open at four to event close at nine and sometimes a little bit beyond. We like to play some music as you head out. Um, That has a multicultural theme to it as well. So um, you'll see dancers from dif- different nationalities, um, some ha- flame-throwing entertainers. Um, we'll have an Indigenous um, dance group uh, performing as well. And we also have uh, a little side area with kids' entertainment. So it's a little bit quieter. It's got our kids' rides. It's got a uh, magician's shows and some kids' activities all night long as well. Yeah, and that's so important. Can I talk about Chinchilla with you? Obviously, there's so many things going on. We know Melon Festival and, and a biannual event and, and obviously the grandfather clock and it's a proud, proud town, but there's no two ways about it. It's had its highs and lows with with the gas industry and, and it's had uh, in some ways that a little bit of a transient population all through there. How is it coping and um, off the back of COVID and just not having the tourists through over the last couple of years, is it, has it responded back on its feet? Um, for sure. Chinchilla... Whilst you say it is a bit of a mixed history, I feel um, over the COVID period, that industry that we we grappled with maybe in the early 2000s um, really helped stabilise our economy through what was a very difficult time for communities that were potentially more dependent on tourism, that um, not only do we have that industry, but our ag sector has always been and will continue to be a huge important part of our community. And the fact that the seasons were better um, over that COVID period, I think, was 
we were incredibly lucky that that coincided and obviously the season continues to be very good. Um, and, uh, yeah, so having the diversity of industries here has meant we've actually handled that um, quite well. Um, and so off the back of it, town, you know, has jumped ahead um, now that we're coping as a, as a whole nation better with COVID. Um, St Kilda's been uniquely positioned to be able to get back to normal and move forward much faster than other regions. So are you seeing growth in the town? Yeah, we're definitely seeing um, growth in, and investment in town. Um, just recently released um, last week um, regional um, project status report saying that we have a pipeline. I think it's around $7 billion worth of projects in this region. Um, wow. So if that doesn't drive growth, I'm not sure what will. Um, but like all regions, you know, our housing is full um, and um, there's there's very low unemployment here because there's a lot of jobs available. So, um, you know, like before, it's, it's in a strong position, this town. Yeah, you're dead right. It is a great town as well. There's no two ways about it. Um, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being with us. And, and, and it says and speaks volumes, this is a great, great event. It's called the One Long Table Multicultural Food Festival and it's returning on September 3, offering tasty treats and fun for all ages. It's hosted by the Chinchilla Community, Commerce and Industry and the event, which has been running for about a decade, aims to connect the community by showcasing the region's rich multicultural diversity. So this year, 31 food vendors will be different selections from kangaroo and emu stew to the Filipino fare to South American paella to Japanese pancakes to smoked meats, Turkish food, and it is one of the most highly anticipated uh, events on the region's calendar. From 4pm to 9pm, the main street will be blocked off and the community can connect. One long table, it's a huge event and uh, it goes along with Chinchilla and what they're doing. 3,000 people expected through there uh, on that Saturday, the 3rd of September. What a great event. What a great event. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being with us. Thrilled to be talk to you and I look forward to seeing everyone on the 3rd. Thanks so much. And, and what, a, what a great thing that Chinchilla are doing. Robin Haig, uh, awesome. Uh, this is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. We're going to take a break, come back with more on Rural Queensland Today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today. Well, there is a bit going on from an Ag Force perspective and we probably should talk about this. We spoke with Georgie Somerset yesterday, but Ag Force members now will head to the polls with a number of key positions set to be contested. Now, the candidates released for the Ag, on the Ag Force, Ag Force website are not permitted to electioneer via Ag Force events or use Ag Force printed uh, electronic forms of media. So current Ag Force General President Georgie Somerset, who has been in the position since 2018, is seeking re-election and will vie for the title against Ag Force Cattle President Will Wilson, who has thrown his hat into the ring. Georgie runs a family beef cattle operation at Jurong with her husband Robert and before becoming president has previously served in various roles of Ag Force since its inception. From 2009 to 14, Georgie was president of the Queensland Rural and Regional and Remote Women's Network and was founding vice president of the organisation. She's served as a non-executive director on boards of Queensland Children's Hospital since that and she's Queensland Royal Flying Doctor Service since 16 and with the ABC. She's done a good job, no two ways about it. Will Wilson is a fourth-generation cattle producer at Calliope Station. He's the manager of Calliope Machine and Company Hire. 
He's director of Australian Beef Logistics and been a member of the Ag Force Board since 2014 and took over as Cattle Board President in 18. In 15, he developed iHerd, data tracking software, and is keen and uh, an early adopter of technology which can change and evolve what producers are doing. He has nominated, the nominated commodity presidents are uncontested. So Peter Hall, Cane uh, Board, Russell Hall, Shaitan, Sh- Stephen Tully, and Grains President Brendan Taylor will all run uncontested. So Central Queensland, there are four cattle board positions available with five nominations. Adam Coffey, Mark Davies, who's a regular, David Hill, Tamara Finger, and Bronnie Lloyd. Or, you know, Bronnie Lloyd we've had here as well. Very, very, very smart people. Southern Inland Queensland, two positions available on the cattle board, three nominations. Garth Christensen, Tom Nixon, and Kenneth Sign. Well, we... We know the work that Garth Christensen has done. He's been unbelievable. True Vote has been appointed to oversee the Ag Force elections. The process of voting will close at midday September 13. The elected representatives will take their positions at the next annual general meeting held at Mount Isa on November 15. I don't mind change. I don't mind change. Georgie Somerset's done a fantastic job. Will Wilson's done an unbelievable job as well. Both regulars on this show. Either way, we're in good stead. You know, we really are. Um, so, you know, I think really we need to just see that and hopefully the right person wins. Now, the PM uh, took a uh, tour, Prime Minister out the Albanese's assured cattle graziers that uh, his government has responded to the biosecurity suits with a comprehensive plan to take place in Australia. He put on the cowboy hat. He was with Murray Watt. They went to Raglan Station last Friday they offered an update on the foot and mouth and lumpy skin disease. And we're going to talk very shortly with Thomas Elder Markets, um, Matt Dalgleish, Ragland Station at Port Alma, South of Rockhampton. It's home to Andrew Olive and his wife Roxanne and their son Ryan. The Olive family have been breeding Brahmas for 55 years. Very, very well known. Albanese assured the beef industry would remain protected. The government has responded to these challenges, Albo said. Well, I don't know. I don't know if he really has a true understanding of what is going on. This is an industry that produces billions of dollars of benefits for Australia. Prime Minister, second time back in central Queensland since he's been elected. First of minute, uh, his first community cabinet in Gladstone a few weeks back. Murray Watt said the Australian agricultural sector was projected to add $80 billion to the national economy in the next 12 months. He said the workwell shortages and biosecurity were the major things on his list. Well, that's good. Uh, Will Wilson was there and said beef producers were now at the cutting edge of the industry and can do to protect themselves. Part of it is to improve our biosecurity. So Will's obviously out and about. Mr Watts said the government was taking necessary steps to strengthen biosecurity and they're going to make sure that they get it under control. Yeah, well, we've seen this happen all too often. Um, it, yeah. Toowoomba cattle report yesterday, um, and just to give you an update, not huge numbers, right? By no means. What a what a uh, shame with what once was a huge yarding of cattle, but uh, very very dear again for the Toowoomba market yesterday. Every uh, every single uh, different uh, line was up. So that is um, you know a lot going on at the moment. The 2023 Farmer Wants a Wife participants, um, 
there's some Queensland farmers uh, you can apply now, you know. If farmer wants a wife now, you know, wants some more participants. So there is two Queenslanders, you know, in there this year, right, and one from Milmerin and obviously one from um, uh, who's, who's an apple grower from near Stanthorpe, you know. So there is some um, – some really good stories there, um, but you know what? If you want to and you're single and you're looking, why not? Why not? We are more than happy to see more people in Queensland go and register and want to be a, uh, a bachelor in Farmer Wants a Wife. Why wouldn't you be? So anyway, it all keeps on happening. Uh, Farmer Wants a Wife is back on the TV very, very short. Yuma Marin draft. Now, I did talk about this. Um, the Open was won by Coralie Daly and her horse, Dax. Uh, it was unbelievable. And, look, the Roma and Injun um, area hosted the Recreation Association's annual camp draft. You know, it was held in three days um, and it was just unbelievable. Kane Duff riding double dynasty claimed the maiden A camp draft up a runoff with Lachlan Dar. Season campaigner Johnny Mulcahy still keeps on doing it. Scored 174 points to take out the maiden B. Only three points separated the top ten competitors in the restricted open. However, it was Pete Knutson of Memphis who scored and won. Adam Rockemeyer was second. The maiden four maidens was won by Anna Dunn on Lily. The two jackpot novice camp drafts were held on Saturday and local Roma competitor Pete Green and his stallion Acres of Acres proved popular winner. And the novice A was run off by Kimberly Salmon. Uh, riding injured lady competitor Jody O'Brien proved her dominance, claiming a double, taking out the novice B riding perfection with a total score of 263. She was in a 3A runoff with Terry Hall and Owen Moore. So very, very well done. Now, Mitchell siblings Rowan and Lucy Harrison were victorious in the juvenile and junior drafts. Committee also rented a Jim Carner and – you know, there's a lot going on at the moment. A big thank you to everybody, Clark family, McEwen family, Lee family, Walsh family, the Cameron family, the committee that were the cattle donors. Camped up event scheduled for this weekend, mostly Hills, Fernvale, Dirrambandy, Clark Creek, Hewitt and, and Burren Down. So uh, there's a lot going on in this neck of the woods. We'll take a break, come back with more. Matt Dalgleish is up next. Rural Queensland today, market analysis, Matt Dalgleish from Thomas Elder Markets. And the hysteria around FMD may have taken our eyes off the real threat of lumpy skin. Um, and this incursion is very much a huge risk. Matt, good morning. How are you? G'day, Dobbo. Thanks for having me, mate. Lumpy skin disease is obviously very, very at the forefront. And a lot of people have been talking about it. Industry leaders are concerned about it. Yet the hysteria of FMD, and rightly so, may have taken our eyes off what is going to and could equally be as devastating for our cattle industry here in Australia. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you look at FMD, you know, it's a serious concern if it was to get in. But when you look at the risk assessment, um, the fact that it's now in Bali um, has gone up from like 9% to about oh, just under 12%, like the chances of it getting in in the next five years. Whereas if you look at something like lumpy skin, um, the risk assessment for that getting in in the next five years is, is close to like 28%, nearly a third chance. So it's a much higher risk um, and it's much harder to stop from getting in as well. So when you guys are doing your assessment, you know, like and you're looking at this, like you're looking at the modelling, you know, there is 
you know, and, and, and we know that lumpy skin comes from it, – it, it's transferred from insects. And tropical storms in southern Indonesia, you know, and then it comes across to a large northern part of Australia, you'd have to think that we're, we're at some risk. Yeah, that's right. I mean, currently lumpy skin's in the island of Sumatra, so it's not as close geographically as, uh, as foot and mouth disease, but the, the issue is that it, you know, it's been slowly spreading through Southeast Asia for the last few years, and it is because it's born uh, by insects, insect carry it across as, as vectors. Um, it's one of those things where it's much more difficult to control. You know, if you think of foot and mouth disease, the, the most likely way that would be coming into the country is probably from someone either bringing in a product that they shouldn't or through the mail with products that are infected, uh, or the risk of, of coming in on a traveller, which is probably the, the least likely risk, but it's still a risk. Um, but all of those all of those kind of methods can have some level of control. You know, we have got biosecurity measures at the border. We do screen passengers, you know, and we've now got those foot mats there. So there's a lot of stuff we can do to try and stop or, or reduce the threat of, of foot and mouth coming in. But when you've got a a disease like lumpy skin that can be carried in, as you say, um, via insects and and via you know some kind of a tropical storm event. Um, there's there's really little you can do to try and stop the spread of it um, from that perspective. So percentage wise, over the next five years, you've got it at at Thomas Elder. Thomas Elder have obviously done markets have done some research on this. They've got it at twenty eight percent. That- oh, the twenty-eight the twenty-eight percent dovo is actually what the government um, modelling shows, right? And and even and even the, the the area that's at risk in terms of the spread, there was a lot of government modelling done to show historically when you've had insects coming through with different types of disease, these are the areas that they can get picked up in. So you're talking a fair degree of the northern part of Australia, you know, probably halfway down um, the northern territory uh, and across the top of the country through to Queensland, you know, obviously through um, the northern parts of Western Australia. So there's significant parts of the country that could be at risk of it coming in on, on a tropical event. What do industry leaders, in your opinion, need to do? Or are you just looking at looking at the analysis and trying to work out exactly how that would affect the market? Like I, I, if you look at African swine fever, the, you know, if it was the preemptive zoning arrangement was formalised between Australia and, and, and Singapore, we've got some systems in place. We just don't seem to have them for lumpy skin at the moment. Yeah, that's right. I mean, part of it is, is obviously assisting Indonesians in trying to get it under control there. And there, there, there is a vaccine for lumpy skin that can be used, um, but not one you want to bring in before you get the disease because you have the same situation where if you start vaccinating for that virus, um, you know, then, then you consider as though you've got it. So um, we could do a bit to help the Indonesians get it under control. If they can get it under control and stop the spread of it within there, um, that, would be, that would be beneficial. Um, but you know, really, in terms of what you can do preemptively in Australia, um, you know, you, you have got limited options there. There's, there's probably some stuff we can do in, around, you know, sentinel type programs to, to make sure that we're, we're keeping a track of, um, you know, whether it gets in or not. Um, but you know, there, there, there are limited things we can do. We don't we don't want to go down the pathway of vaccinating, of course. And and, and indeed, um, with the vaccines that are available, I don't think we've got any. Um, and currently, the, the countries that manufacture vaccines, I don't think there's a, an, a you know kind of an agreement in place in terms of being able to bring those in yet. Um, and, and we've got some concerns around, you know, when you do, when you're looking at those live type um, RNA vaccines that that we'll be using, um, that has complications as well in terms of are you bringing in something else with the vaccine? So um, it's not a simple process just to go and say we're going to vaccinate. Yeah, obviously, uh, looking at markets, you guys are analysing it all the time. Things are there's still a shortage of beef here. 
in in Australia. Um, the market is obviously very strong, but biosecurity is the biggest threat now. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and you're talking, I mean, something like lumpy skin would obviously have a pretty significant impact to our live cattle trade. Um, that, that would be an immediate one that gets impacted. The beef side of it, it's, it's less clear because – you know, a lot of the a lot of the relationships we have with clients now overseas trade partners, there's no real um, uh, specification around lumpy skin because historically it's never been a threat. So we're not quite sure exactly how some of the beef trade partners would react, um, and that's something that we'd have to see how that we answer. It's a different scenario than foot and mouth disease, where there's clear guidelines as to how they would react. Um, but it does also impact the dairy sector too. So. Um, if it was to get in it, it have you know it has productive um, issues around the beef space, um, you know, in terms of in terms of impacting upon production and and the ability to um, to raise cattle, and, and then you've also got uh, issues with production of milk. So um, it'd be a significant significant impact if it got in. Yeah, appreciate your time as usual. It's one that we all need to be aware of, and something that everybody is concerned about. Market analysis, Matt Dalgleish from Thomas Alder Markets. We appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so Thanks, much for Tom. being with us. Thanks, Dobbo. Cheers, mate. Good on you. Rural Queensland today, and that percentage from the government at the moment is obviously um, considered, you know, quite significant. Um, the risk assessment for lumpy skin incursion into Australia in the next five years is estimated at 28%. Now, at the moment, it's slightly higher than the incursion given of foot and mouth. So that's the government. That's not anybody else giving those st- stats. That's the government who have made those clear. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today, Tuesday morning, the 23rd of August. Well, that's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland Today. I hope you've enjoyed the show. We're back, same time, same place tomorrow. Have a great day. And from all the team here at Rural Queensland Today, remember when the weed is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. We'll see you tomorrow.